0: Well, our, our text in 1 Corinthians this morning, um, if you're wondering if you're in for a 50-minute sermon and then a year-end business meeting, it's not true. Um, thinking I should have brought a snack with me. Um, it, 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 quite frankly, it's not a difficult text to understand. And so we're going to just chat through it here briefly, give you a couple different ways. I think we can see some application of it. But uh, we went through verse 9 last week and looked at how Paul is just, he, he's setting up and laying down the foundation of the church in Corinth's relationship with God and doing so in preparation for what will be some hard things that he has to say to them. Um, he is going to be identifying areas that they need change. Areas they need to repent in. Um, And he does that work and and I precedes that work by laying down this foundation. And we looked at last week in the Thanksgiving section beginning in verse 4 where he says, I thank my God always for you. And here's why. And we looked at three different aspects of God's grace that Paul highlights. And the first was that they have been enriched in every way. He said it this way to the church in Ephesus You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Peter writes something similar in 2 Peter and says that we have been given all things for life and godliness. There's a, there's a past tense aspect of God's grace in our lives that says we've got all we need. We're as saved as we're ever going to be, there's not a deficiency in our salvation. And it's critically important, especially on the front side of being and starting to consider changes. The lack of unity that they have as a church that we'll look at this morning is not an indication in and of itself that God's work and his grace somehow didn't work. But rather because of God's grace, because of God's work, they have some changes that need to be made. And there's a past tense aspect of it. The present tense aspect that he highlights is that they're not lacking in any gift. They're not lacking in, every, in any gift that right now they have all they need. And then he also gives a future tense aspect to say, you will be sustained. And I just touched upon that in regards to what we pray for. And the picture that that gives us is not that you and I will be able to hold on for dear life in the midst of the storm. The picture is, is that we will be held. And that it's not our strength, not our grip, that keeps us tethered. It's rather God who keeps us. And that's this foundation that he lays. And now he begins in verse 10 to identify the first of many different places that this church needs to make some changes in. And they were a disunited church. And we'll get a glimpse of that. Beginning in verse 10, he writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And so he wants them to agree He wants them to be of the same mind, of the same judgment, and he wants them to not be disunified. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is that each one of you says, and now we get to step in and get a glimpse as to what this quarreling was. I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Apparently, the church had somehow decided they had their favorites, and they were rallying behind their favorites and not being unified together. Paul asked the question, is Christ divided? Well, Certainly, the answer to that question is no. He's not, and the implication there is that you should not either. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, to to, to answer these questions and begin to point them into a new direction and encourage them to pursue unity, he points their eyes and their gaze towards Jesus. Is Christ divided? No, he's not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? Absolutely not. Christ was. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you weren't. You're baptized in the name of Christ. So it's Christ and Christ alone. Disunity in the church is against and out of step with what God would have for us as a church. The issue appears to perhaps be one of baptism. Six times in five verses, Paul uses the word baptize. It's probably an indicator that at some point along the way, what was happening and maybe what brought some of these favorites or factions to the surface was Apollos baptized these people over here. But before Paul left town, he baptized those people over there. And somewhere along the line, Peter rode through. Perhaps on his way to Rome, we we don't know, but might have baptized a couple himself. And they started clamoring and saying, you know, my baptism was better because Paul did it, or Apollos did it, or Peter did it. And it's interesting, and this text doesn't give us this specifically, uh, but it's interesting that uh, Peter is known much more for his public speaking ability than Paul was. Paul was much more known for his writing ability than Peter was. Apollos gets more characterized by the loving sage instructor who's going to come and put his arm around you and help you understand things. And so Peter stands up amongst the 12 at the day of Pentecost and speaks to 3,000 people and has a ministry of speaking. It's not that Paul doesn't speak. He speaks in the synagogues often, but he wrote more of the New Testament than any other author will actually say in 2 Corinthians some things about his public speaking and how maybe it wasn't that great. But Apollos is kind of that, that teacher, that shepherd, if you will. And so people just began rallying around their guys that they thought were better. I thank God, verse 14, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Now, verse 16 is a strange and interesting spot because it gives us a glimpse into the relationship between God inspiring his word but not dictating his word. And so here Paul has a, oh, on second thought type of moment, but there's no delete key. He can't just start hitting the backspace button to undo what has already been written on the parchment. He inserts then a parentheses. Um, I actually did baptize the household of Stephanas, and beyond that, I don't know who else I might have baptized. You get a glimpse into how God has inspired his word, but he did so through human authors, and he didn't dictate what Paul was to write. He rather moved his mind and his thoughts along that what was written was what God wanted to be written, including on second thought, and little parenthetical additions. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross be emptied of its power. Very easily in the church, we can find ourselves disunited about a whole lot of stuff. Here, you have in front of us some instances where there were leaders that the church found itself rallying around, and not just in terms of, I was baptized by Paul, and I'm grateful for his work in my life, but um, I'm better than you because of that, and, and, I, and I just as thinking through maybe how we might see some of that here in our church, and how we can be guarded against it, um, it's a far away example, probably not something that I think is directly going to be here, but I experienced it more in seminary. Where we had our favorite authors, and we would drop last names like somehow they were they were um, authoritative bombs in conversation, and and so we might bring up the name of a well-known teacher or professor or author, and we'd say, well, John Piper says, or John MacArthur wrote, or we we would we'd insert names to somehow land authoritative bombs in the conversation, and we could perhaps see something like that. It's not that those men are somehow not able to be learned from and we're not able to profit by them. But if we found ourselves dividing into small groups that are rallying around certain people and against others, we have some issues. Um, I know of a church. I've got family that go to a church where they don't actually print the name of the guy that's going to speak on Sunday. They've got a speaking team. They've got a preaching team. They don't identify who that person's going to be because they know people from the church won't come because they have their favorite preachers. Now, I speak most of the time. We probably aren't going to necessarily find ourselves confronted with that, but there's instances and illustrations of where this still is At play today, I know of another church, well acquainted with it, have friends that attend there, that every so often, the church goes through a cycle where it wants to get rid of its pastor. And just recently, when we were having some conversations with some of these friends, they said, we got approached to sign a petition to ask the pastor to leave. pastor hadn't done anything to biblically disqualify himself. And the issue in this text is not false teaching. Because Paul makes no bones about what you do with false teachers. You run them out of town. The issue is not false teaching. The issue is favoritism. And this pastor had drawn the ire of some in the church, and they wanted a petition to go around. And and we were talking with these friends and just had to say, look, you need to realize that, that your church has this culture. From a distance, we can observe that every so many years, you cycle back to this. And... We never told them what to do, but were really encouraged to find out a couple months later, actually, they said no to signing the petition. So they didn't want to be a part of that. I remember when I began leading music at Community Grace back in 2003. I was a sophomore in college. I had a guitar, I had a dream, I had a girl. It was a good time of life. Um, here's the thing, though I, I didn't know how to lead a band had never done so, and the church was beginning to transition from organ piano to this drums on the stage thing, and caught the brunt of a whole lot of criticism, in part because I just wasn't that good. And quite frankly, the hymns and organ probably would have sounded better. but it caused the question to be asked. Is the music to be focused on Christ and Christ alone? And I remember having conversations about, you know, how many hymns do we have to sing and how many non-hymns do we have to sing and does it have to be two of each and, and should we stand for more than three songs or do we have to sit after two songs? I mean, we just were all confused with all sorts of stuff. And in some ways, it was because the church had divided itself in all of these different areas to say, well, I like when we stand for three songs. No, I like when we stand for two songs. And I like when we sing this many hymns. And I like when we don't sing hymns at all. And it, and it, and it got to the point where we just had to end up saying, look, no, Christ and Christ alone is the focus. I've experienced just some of that personally. Now, here's the crazy thing. And this is part of what encourages me. Damien's a way better guitar player than I am a year in. I think we might forget the fact he's only played guitar for a year. And I look at what he does, and I think back to where I began, and I go, oh, my goodness, (laughs) he's way better than I was a year in. And it's not to say that every morning is great. I guarantee you from 2003 for probably a good six years, there were rough, rough spots. But I look at a guy who, actually, if he was here today, would celebrate his one-year anniversary with us. Um, And I'm encouraged just by his approach to that and his ability to put in hard work and teach himself an instrument he's never learned before. But the caution is to not divide ourselves about stuff that doesn't matter because it's Christ and Christ alone. We can get into this comparison game and find ourselves – having all sorts of struggle and difficulty. Because if you compared us, even what we did this morning, to Chris Tomlin, we fall way short. But the question is, did we focus your attention on Jesus? That's what we wanted to do. That's what the goal was. Because it's Christ and Christ alone. And so that's where we're going to end, singing a couple songs to Jesus about him and what he has done. I'm grateful that Andrew brought an extra set of guitar strings this morning because I broke one, and I sent him a message this morning, and I was like, hey, just in case, can you bring one? And he did, and he restrung it for me. So band's going to come back up. I'm going to transition up there. We're going to sing about our Savior and praise his name. Come on, guys.